0: Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. It's Bwahaha in
1: Smallville. JSA's sidekicks return to reality. An evil CEO recruits the chief. Clark finds out the truth about hope. We're reaching the end of Black Hammer. When is a dragon not a dragon? And a philosophical battle on Danger Street. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, September 17th, 2023. I'm Mark.
2: And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review.
1: You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737, that's six one four three two one nine We've got four weeks to cover, so let's get started with...
2: Fire and Ice, welcome to Smallville, number one by Starer, Bustos, and Bonvillain. A return to the kind of story we got during Keith Giffen's Bwahaha JLI era, Fire, Beatrice DaCosta, who started out as Green Fury in 1979 Super Friends comic, and Ice, Tora Olaf's daughter, whose previous incarnation Ice Maiden also came from the Super Friends comic, have been assigned to Smallville after a screw-up in a recent event. B has a hair-trigger temper, while Tora is easygoing. Elron, the JLI robot, was sent along to assist, but was only able to buy a closed beauty salon for their headquarters. B immediately removes hairstyle photos with mugshots of minor villains she scoped out while on league monitor duty. Ice is fine with running the salon. Martha Kent drops by with a housewarming pie and has a heartwarming heart-to-heart with Tora. We learn that the whole everyone-knows-Superman's-ID thing went away. No surprise.
1: As Martha takes her on a tour of the town, they bump into Tamarind, a local who used to work at the salon. Tora hires her back. Tamarind is very quirky. At a diner, they meet Rocky, the best waitress they have. Tora gets a ping on her phone and sees a TikTok from B challenging villains to fight her, with Elrond teaching her a dance for the kids. It takes little time for someone to take her up on it. King Shark arrives and causes havoc. Before they get a chance to tussle, Superman flies in and stops them. Tora is disappointed. B is still angry. Tora says that for her, the hero life is over. B asks Tamarind if she got the fight on video. Superman giving the talking shark an atomic wedgie? Hell yeah! No, no, me and Tor fighting. Why would I film a couple Karens?
2: Tora and Tamarind and Elrond reopen the salon, and Martha brings her book club as clients. They start picking hairstyles from the mugshots. Bea is desperate enough to make a call. Hey, yeah, want to make a quick buck? I just need to kick your ass a little and film it. On the other end of the call, ambush bug. Lady, I'd pay you for that.
1: Justice Society of America number 6 by John, Centucci, and Placentia. Another issue of this off delayed title, this was originally solicited for last spring. Way to create momentum for the new golden age, Jeff. Anyway, after prerequisite splash pages setting things up, we go to the society at their big table discussing what to do about Huntress. As they are about to contact the Time Masters, Stargirl, one Million DC's Our Man and Judy Garrick burst in. Jay and Judy reunite, and the world, all at once, remembers the time-tossed sidekicks again. Let's go see your mom.
2: In New York City, Bruce shows Helena her new apartment. It's not new for her. The Wayne's spent every Christmas here. Bruce thought it was a good idea. She can work with the JSA there but Helena sees it as a rejection. It may be good for the time being, as you and Mom are about to have one hell of an argument referring to yet another bat event. Back to the society, many of the sidekicks have no family to go back to, so they agree Stargirl's plan is the best way to go.
1: Salem, Dr. Fate's sidekick, meets Khalid, the current holder of the Helmet of Fate. I guess they got it back from Danger Street. He explains there have been several doctors over the years, even referencing the terrible 90s fate with all the knives. She explains about her curse, anyone close to her gets hurt.
2: You know, I'm just thinking that, in a way, Dr. Fate is a little like Doctor Who. Yeah, I was just thinking (laughs) Let's regenerate. Oops, no, just passed the helmet. (laughs) So anyway, back in the desert, the Beth Chapel Dr. Midnight remotely monitors Cherry Bomb, human bomb sidekick, as she tries to expel her explosive energy, but it builds back up again. The OG wildcat checks in with Beth, looking for Yolanda. There's yet another reference to Eclipso.
1: In Oregon, Ladybug, sidekick to Red Bee, visits her family's old honey farm alongside Stargirl. Red Bee's granddaughter owns the place now and wants to meet Ladybug. Ladybug is traumatized about her parents never knowing what happened to her. She runs into Michael, one of the old trained bees who somehow lived to see Ladybug again.
2: Then we cut to John Wilson meeting his new steel family, Dynamite meeting Nuclon, Quiz Kid moving in with Mr. Terrific. Huntress and Power Girl are also making plans. Why not form the JSA they would eventually build anyway, giving ex-villains a second chance? Their first candidate? Solomon Grundy.
1: Unstoppable Doom Patrol number 5 of 7 by Culver, Burnham, and Reber. In New Poplar, Illinois, Rita and Cliff are creating havoc. It's just a distraction in order for the Chief, Degenerate, and Jane to break into the underground headquarters of Metagen. The evil corporation is turning citizens into monsters. Oh, and the whole town works for them. The plan fails as they are met by Metagen's CEO and his troopers. Jane and Degenerator are knocked out. It's the Chief that the CEO wants to talk to. Above, Cliff and Rita are ambushed.
2: We cut to General Amortis, who seems to be torturing a toupee. Mullah tells him his guests have arrived. They're various Doom Patrol villains. Of course, they're there to destroy the heroes.
1: Back to the chief and the CEO. The chief is convinced they're adversaries, but the CEO just wants to hire him. Metagen is interested in the catastrophe theory, which is what the chief followed to create the original team. Those ideas came from a psychotic break while suffering my own trauma. They are not something I am proud of. Metagen is using nanotech to create made-to-order metahumans and shows off their first prototype.
2: Metal Woman is sent out to stop the heroes up top, with Larry having joined the fray. Her nanotech lets her constantly adapt to any threat. Unfortunately, there are too many variables, and the beautiful heroine becomes a bizarre monster. The CEO is fine with this. It's just phase one. Degenerate breaks out and crushes the CEO's head. It's just a robot. Peacemaker and his team arrive, and the patrol heads out. They paid for him. Let them deal with it, as the former Meta Woman becomes an out-of-control genetic blob.
1: Superman lost number 6 of 10 by Priest, Pagoulian, Paz, and Cox. We begin in the present day. There's another crisis, and the JLA are on it, except for Superman. It's been weeks since he returned, but he's still out of it. Bruce, in a rare show of empathy, tries to get Clark to open up about it. You are a memory, Bruce, like an old friend who moved away decades ago.
2: Back to year 13, Clark broods at Jimmy's grave. Hope tries to recite the Green Lantern oath, but can't forget how she killed Jimmy when he figured out a way for Clark to get home. She tells Clark that it's time to go. The system star is turning into a red giant, and Clark's powers are fading. Even with the survival suit, the window is closing for him to escape. The alien world either doesn't care or doesn't believe the extinction event, so there's nothing they can do. Just leave together.
1: Clark, of course, wants to work with the various nations to band together and escape as a society, and we see him plead with various tribes. They all end up hating him, telling him to go. Clark and Hope learn that Victor has a stellar drive and begs him to build an Ark for all of them. The Ark is a failsafe against your interference and aggression. It's for Clark so he can leave.
2: Year 19, Clark's powers are nearly gone. Victor arrives and asks why he isn't leaving now. The temporal rift is ready to close. You know, the one Jimmy discovered? Clark realizes what Hope did to keep them together, and there's a battle. Clark uses the fact that Hope's GL ring was created before the yellow impurity was removed to stop her. He takes her ring and gets into a rocket with plans to find the Green Lantern Corp and return to save them all. Unfortunately, the rocket doesn't survive the gravimetric stress forcing Clark to fly into the rift alone. He's almost torn apart when he's stopped by a white-bearded Superman. Go back before you kill us all!
1: Black Hammer, the end, number one from Dark Horse, by Lemire, Ward, and Picos. As indicated by the title, this is the final Hammer storyline, at least for now. On Earth-312, ruled by Arthurian magic, Antigod is about to destroy everything when Space Digger warps in to bring Golden Guinevere back to Colonel Weird's ship. She turns back to her little girl form, and they return. He was supposed to get the wizard, so Takiwaki will need to recalculate things.
2: Back in the farm town, Insector Detector has to be hidden away from the local cop who's on the lookout for Lucy's missing kid. He was in Detector's World. Abe, Elliot, Lucy, and Son, and the giant insect return to the farm.
1: Back on the ship, the robot and Frankenstein discuss who they should swipe from the Paraverse. They agree to grab an evil Barbalion from the next world. Weird chooses this time to leave as well. A new pattern is being written without me.
2: We cut to Lucy's dad floating in a sea of hammers from heroes he stopped. His mysterious partner is angry he didn't kill Lucy.
1: Insector is left to hide in the barn. Don't you have a TV out here or something? Some booze maybe? Good night, Insector. In the house, the plan is to all stay there in the town to be safe, but Rose isn't having it. Lucy, after some flashbacks, agrees the best plan is to stay there.
2: Weird pops up in a new ship, finding a council of weirds, along with a mysterious device. He is told his friend's plan will fail unless we act. The weirds will unite. There is only one anti-god, and to face him, there can only be one Colonel Weird. I'm sad this is the last one. I mean, the last story. I think Jeff will come back to it, but...
1: I suspect he will at some point.
2: I don't know why nobody has snapped this up to make a TV series. Yeah.
1: Rivers of London, Here Be Dragons, number two from Titan by Swallow, Cartmel, and Baroy. Peter walks to work, realizing he has fought nearly a full set of fantastical creatures and can now add a dragon to that set. Nightingale's not happy about how things went with a very public shot of a helicopter that was nearly taken out. The dragon needs to be stopped before the RAF is called in. Peter shows him a shot of the creature, and Nightingale realizes it's a wyvern, not a dragon. Historically, they worked with humans. Nightingale shoes Peter out to do more research.
2: We cut to Mick the busker and Plugs, and ex roadie Mick's the one who was attacked last issue, and they return to the scene of the crime. Up walks the Fae in modern disguise. Plugs recognizes Selenia, who he met 50 years ago. The Fae berate him. Peter meets with Gleed near them, and the Fae scatter. Peter tries to talk to Plugs, but Mick tells him Plugs is crazy. Peter presses the matter, and the two mates leap. The Fae watch from a tree before Peter spots them, and they disappear.
1: Later, at a carnival, Abigail is having a date, and they run into one of the Fae. Abigail's buddy, the Fox, helps her investigate. Meanwhile, a bickering couple on a ride are attacked by the Wyvern, who takes her chihuahua. Mick and Plugs come out of a closing pub, and Plugs is spooked on the way home. He tries to relax with a smoke and Hendricks.
2: Abigail calls Peter, sending him a video of the attack. Nightingale texts him with an urgent message and an address. Well, this doesn't look suspicious at all. He finds Nightingale there, along with the Fae. They want to assist on the case. Now, Mark. Yes. There was, in one of the earlier books... Mm-hmm. There was an incident where Peter was kidnapped by the Fae
1: uh, and,
2: and taken to fairyland. Yeah. And it was very bad. Ah. So he's very leery of them.
1: I would think so. so. Danger Street Book Nine from DC Black Label by King Fornaz and Stewart. This has always been a difficult book to review, but this issue takes it up a notch. Up till now, the book hopscotched among a half dozen storylines. This issue is a single scene, all composed of eight panel pages. It's the showdown between Manhunter and Codename Assassin set atop a tall building. The entire issue shows their fight with massive amount of dialogue talking various philosophical points. Assassin states he has an advantage, since he just has to stop Manhunter from killing the Commodore. If they both die, he wins. Manhunter keeps trying to reframe the conversation.
2: After some sword play, Manhunter suggests a delay for them to catch their breath and view the skyline. They open up to each other and share a drink. Manhunter keeps a flask in his boot. Manhunter wants to flip a coin to determine who jumps off the building, and Assassin stops it with his telekinesis, then uses the telekinesis on Manhunter. More discussion before Assassin drops Manhunter off the building. He checks in with Commodore, and when he gets a bratty answer, lets the coin drop, bringing Manhunter back up before hitting the ground. How long was that call?
1: Turns out this was Manhunter's plan all along. Tire out Assassin's mind powers so he could throw his sword, piercing Assassin. Assassin responds by cutting off Manhunter's leg, then skewering him as well. They both bleed out, and the rest of the issue is them in darkness. Are they dead? More philosophy follows. Personally, I hope they are both dead so we can move on with the story.
2: So when I was reading this, Mark... Yeah. In the back of my mind, I kept thinking about the Princess Bride, and um, in the sword fight, how uh-huh. they use that, and then in the in the confrontation, how Wesley uses the, the psychology on the other people mm-hmm. when he's dealing with the Corsican yeah. and the poisoning, yeah. and how he keeps turning it back on them, their own philosophies. <laughs> and I was wondering how much that played into into this.
1: I was thinking about Vite and. Rorschach in Watchmen and the final scene with them basically just trying to out talk each other.
2: Yeah. So, you know, this is very classic, but again, very unusual for this particular oh, yeah. comic. So sure. yeah, it was very interesting in a different step away.
0: Announcer bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review you can email sf podcast at gmail.com like us at facebook.com slash sfppn check out instagram at sf pod network call us at 614 321 that's 614 321 sfp back to you mark
1: thanks for listening everybody bye
0: bye bye